Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Health Center News, the podcast of the National Association of Community Health Centers. Today's episode focuses on how health centers are handling the COVID-19 vaccination effort. The discussion was recorded on January 29th and features Carolyn Bridges of the Immunization Action Coalition, giving updates on the latest vaccine recommendations from ASIP, as well as staff from the Albany area Primary Healthcare Center in Georgia, sharing their experiences with the vaccine rollout. Visit NAC's website for more health center resources on COVID vaccination. So hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Me Anything, Stay Sharp, Microplanning for the Flu and COVID-19 Vaccines, session number seven, our final in our series, uh, sponsored by the National Association of Community Health Centers. My name is Elizabeth Breidenbach. I'm a meeting and event specialist based in the Clinical Affairs Division here at NAC, and I'm pleased to bring you this event along with my colleague, Sarah Price, Deputy Director of Public Health Integration. At this moment, I'm going to turn things over to Sarah, who will be introducing today's speakers and setting the stage for you. Sarah, the floor is Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Liz. Um, I, I want to publicly thank her. As she said, uh, this is our uh, seventh uh, episode, session, whatever we want to call it. Um, and uh, we had actually extended it uh, because uh, it was so uh, popular. So this will be our last session. Um, we are talking about other ways to um, share all the resources and innovations. And, and also, uh, this is not the last that you will hear from us, just the last in this format. Um, so I want to thank Liz um, especially for uh, all of her uh, support in doing this. Um, today, uh, we are really fortunate uh, to be joined uh, by uh, three speakers. Um, today, we've been uh, featuring Claire Hannon with the um, Association of Immunization Managers. Uh, she was called away today, but we are so excited uh, to uh, have Carolyn Bridges, uh, who's the Associate Director uh, for Adult Immunization with the uh, Immunization Action Coalition. Uh, so she's actually going to be sharing with us first um, she is fresh from the uh, yesterday's ASIP meeting, um, so she will tell us uh, some really great uh, updates on um, the different uh, indications and some logistics surrounding um, the COVID-19 vaccine products. And then we'll move uh, to uh, Rhonda Arlene, uh, who's the Director of Nursing for Albany Area Primary Healthcare, uh, as well as uh, Shelley Spires, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Albany Area Primary Healthcare. Uh, they're in Albany, Georgia. Um, and uh, we'll talk about uh, the immunization practices that they've been doing for COVID-19 and give us some really practical tips. Um, so so um, I'll turn it right now over to uh, Carolyn uh, to give us some information from the ASIP meeting. So there have been um, a number of updates in terms of clinical considerations for using the two mRNA vaccines. One of those um, updates is that um, there obviously have been some concerns about the timing of that second dose. So uh, CDC has clarified that if it's not feasible to adhere to the recommended interval for the second dose, so that's um, in 28 days for Moderna and 21 ideally for Pfizer, that you can uh, schedule the um, second dose up to six weeks or 42 days after the first dose. But importantly, if you do not get that second dose in within that time frame, still you do not repeat the dose and you just get the second dose um, as soon as you're able to. They also had some updated information on interchangeability of these two vaccine uh, products. And again, the recommendation is you wanna give the same product for the first dose as the second dose, but in, in if there is a situation that should be a rare situation, 
in which the first dose vaccine uh, product can't be um, uh, found or is no longer available, then you can give any available um, mRNA vaccine for the second dose. And the inter minimum interval for that is um, 28 days. But ideally, this situation will be rare. But if you can't figure out which kind of vaccine, mRNA vaccine, they got in the first dose, just give the second dose at 28 days or later. Um, they also had uh, some updated information on um, vaccination of people who've had a history of SARS-CoV-2 co-infection and uh, really just reiterated a bit more that if vaccine supply remains limited, that you can think about, you know, again, delaying uh, vaccination uh, temporarily uh, among people who've already had infection. So um, if supply is an issue, which of course it is all over the country right now, you may choose to delay vaccination for a while in people who have had a known uh, SARS-CoV-2 infection. Um, there have been a lot of discussions uh, at the ACIP meeting as well as a lot in the news about um, new uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus variants that are in circulation. There have been a number of um, uh, reports in the news and now some also publications. I've provided a bunch of links there for people who really want to get into a lot of details. But um, both for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, they're reporting that there may be some uh, modest reduction in antibody titers against particularly the South African strain, but they do um, expect that um, uh, these vaccines will still provide um, substantial protection against uh, that, that South African uh, strain. Uh, for Novavax, um, they also had a press release and a new report that's in a non-peer-reviewed publication at this point. Again, the, the link is there. So um, uh, the Novavax vaccine is um, in phase three studies right now in the U.S. and in Mexico, uh, but they did provide some information, again, about efficacy against these different variants. Uh, and they found in their U.K. study that with the predominantly um, uh, U.K. variant, or at least half, half of with the U.K. variant, that they had 89% efficacy. So very high effectiveness, even when about half of the viruses they identified were the UK variant. They had a much smaller study that they did in South Africa uh, that's a phase 2B study, uh, and they did find um, a somewhat reduced efficacy uh, in South Africa where that South African variant um, was circulated. So we'll be waiting on the um, additional data coming from the U.S. and uh, Mexico, but uh, overall finding um, some efficacy even against the South African variant for this Nova vaccine, which is um, still under development. And then um, at the ACIP meeting, they did also have a presentation by AstraZeneca about um, their uh, adenovirus-based uh, vaccine. Um, they did provide some um, information on um, uh, efficacy as well. Uh, so uh, it's not clear exactly when we'll have a, um, an FTE meeting about this vaccine, but uh, one thing to look forward to is that it is stored at 2 to 8 degrees Celsius, so refrigerator temperature, for up to six months. So that definitely helps with some of the logistical issues with vaccination. And it's um, two doses, 28 days apart. Uh, they are in the phase three study in the U.S. Um, and that study is fully enrolled. 
So we would expect some more information on the AstraZeneca vaccine, hopefully here relatively soon. Um, at the ACIP meeting, ACIP meeting, we also provide an update on vaccine uh, safety. There are multiple different systems that CDC is looking at to monitor uh, safety. And what they found uh, generally is um, quite reassuring and that the adverse reactions that they're seeing are very similar to what was found in the clinical trials. Uh, CDC also noted that they have over 200 pregnant women who are now included in the pregnancy registry. So that will help us get some additional information uh, on these vaccines and pregnancy. And they provided an update report on anaphylaxis. Um, and what they uh, found is that, um, again, most people who received the vaccine thus far have been um, healthcare uh, workers. Um, most of the cases of anaphylaxis were among women, which was interesting. And the majority of the cases, again, uh, did occur within that time frame for which we asked people to wait um, after getting their vaccination. So 90% of the cases of anaphylaxis occurred within that 30-minute time frame. And um, about 80% of people had a history of allergies or allergic reactions. Uh, about 24% had a history of prior anaphylaxis. And uh, because most people have only gotten one dose who've been vaccinated, most of the information is about dose one. And so uh, in summary, they found that the estimate for anaphylaxis for the Pfizer vaccine was about five cases per million doses administered. And for Moderna, it was about 2.8 cases per million doses administered. So that is uh, very uncommon, um, maybe slightly higher from what we expect uh, from some prior vaccines, uh, which is about 1.3 per million, uh, but still um, relatively low. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I appreciate those, uh, those great slides. Uh, we had some uh, questions come. We're going to get to those. I want to uh, hear from Shelly and uh, Rhonda first, uh, but we have a, a couple great questions uh, that came from that content. So thank you so much, Carolyn. Uh, stand by. Um, let's go ahead and go over to uh, Rhonda and Shelly, again, from Albany uh, Area Health uh, Center in Albany, Georgia. I think we'll start with uh, Rhonda to just talk about um, what you all have been doing with the COVID-19 vaccine in your community. Okay. Hi. Great. Um, so we are a community health center in Albany, Georgia. We have about 26, 27 sites throughout um, the Albany area, as well as some of the rural areas outlined um, Albany. So we started our vaccinations. We just chose two of our larger clinics to start. You know, um, vaccine distribution with COVID was new to all of us. So um, probably the biggest thing was getting everyone trained. Um, there was some really great training on the CDC website, which is what we used as a guideline for our training process. Um, we started with two clinics, and we, we started with about 600 doses at each clinic, 300 doses at each clinic, I'm sorry, a total of 600 doses. Um, we started with two distribution sites. We were able to vaccinate about 50 to 60 patients per day at each site that's utilizing one nurse and a medical assistant. At the time, there was a lot of um, confusion about whether medical assistants could administer the vaccine, and most of our clinics are staffed 80% with medical assistants. So that was one barrier that we um, faced early on. But we were able to get staff to um, just 
do vaccines. We had all that nurse did was vaccines all day long. Um, like I said, we were able to do 50 or 60 a day. The issue we ran into is that our clinics have large volumes. So we see about um, well over 100 patients in clinic, and we were also bringing in that traffic for the vaccines. And we quickly realized that we were not able to um, maintain social distancing and do all the things that we know we needed to do and um, administer those vaccines. So um, Shelly began to reach out. Um, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that have helped us be successful is utilizing the resources in our community. Um, we utilized um, Phoebe Health System. They're a large community um, hospital in our community. We also have um, collaborated with Department of Health. Um, Phoebe was able to loan us a lo much larger space that we could utilize just for vaccines. And we're in that space now. We have nine vaccine stations, and our complete operations are now um, utilized through volunteers. We have uh, retired physicians, retired nurses that have stepped in and volunteered to vaccinate. We've also utilized volunteers to do grits entry, which was another barrier that we found. Um, we were able to give the vaccines, but data entry was a real barrier for us. And so utilizing the volunteers, we've been able to um, move the lines pretty quickly. And in our current space, we're vaccinating over 250 patients a day. Um, we've also done one mass vaccination clinic where we vaccinated 450 patients in less than eight hours. And we actually did that on the 18th of January. Um, but the biggest thing that I can tell you that we've done, that we've seen that works well, is utilizing the resources um, in your county. Um, we've had to, we've borrowed uh, vaccines from Phoebe. We've gotten vaccines from DPH. Um, just reaching out and establishing those relationships with um, the people and the other companies in your county, it has been the most helpful. And reaching out to those volunteers, they have really helped us not be able to pull so much staff out of our clinics to help run our distribution site. And that's about all I can tell you that we've done thus far that has worked for us, that we've been able to vaccinate so many patients. Thank you, Rhonda. Shelly, what else to add? Sorry, had to unmute myself. I would agree with Rhonda. Um, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, we have um, administered over 3,000 or right at 3,000 um, vaccines. And um, as, as we continue to stress the importance of relationships, uh, you know, we can't continue to address health disparities by operating in a silo. And so those those partnerships are truly key. And, you know, we're just so fortunate that with our local hospital, um, a 450-bed hospital here in Albany, we have that relationship. Um, we're very fortunate to also have the relationship with our um, uh, Department of Public Health here, our, our health department. And those opportunities there have worked really well. Um, if you expand it a little bit, I go on to talk about our relationship with AHEC, our Area Health Education Center, because the person who's helping me um, manage my volunteers is a retiree from AHEC as the executive director. 
And so she understands community health center. She knows what we do. Um, she knows people and she reached out and started um, soliciting volunteers. And to be quite honest, um, we could not do what we're doing without the help of the volunteers. So being a community health center, you know, I get it. You know, we don't have the funds that some of these larger health systems have to be able to hire additional staff, um, have additional resources just at hand when we need them. Um, so we, we just, my philosophy is where there's a will, there's a way. And if we have the will to get this done, we will figure out the way. And so that's where a lot of this has come from. Um, you know, we get to a point that we're down vaccines and I'm just like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And I thought, well, all they can do is say no. So I called some of my fellow partners and like, look, you know, if we transfer vaccines within the system, is that one accurate? Can we do it? And two, do you have some to spare to loan? And so we borrowed um, some vaccines just to put on some of those events that Rhonda discussed earlier. And, you know, it's also understanding, you know, that sometimes we have to uh, adhere to the community's needs as a federally qualified health center. That's what we do. And we are generally closed as a holiday, have been since I've been here 20 years, um, for Martin Luther King Observant Day. And so we um, decided, or I decided that we're going to open. We're going to open one clinic. Um, we're going to get some volunteers and we're going to have a mass vaccination clinic and the goal is 500. And we hit 450. You know, um, those are, you know, those are the kind of things that even with the volunteers, they were right there. The staff, they were right there. Um, and I didn't have to ask twice. And so it was, it's very nice to have such supportive, um, support staff when I, when I make a decision. Um, that fulfills some of the needs of the community, that they're right behind me. Um, and and that's, I'm very appreciative of that. So it's, it's been nice. So I would encourage, um, reach out to some of your partners, um, determine where that relationship can go and um, how to expand on it so that we can get more people vaccinated quicker. Wonderful messages, uh, both uh, Shelley and Rhonda uh, and Carolyn. Really appreciate. Um, there's so much hope uh, during these sessions, so I, I appreciate that. Um, we have about three questions. Um, we have about 10 minutes, so I think we can get to them. Um, we'll see if any more come in. Um, the first one is actually um, about, uh, uh, this is from a health center that said, we just had our first vaccine clinic for COVID-19 for staff. And they were surprised to realize that there are reactions to the vaccine that are not anaphylaxis. Um, so I actually asked for some specification. It looked like um, some migraine-like reactions and then an itchy throat. Um, so uh, the question that I'd, I'd like to pose this uh, to of all of our presenters is um, how to best manage those reactions both in real time um, and then also if, you know, when you're planning for the second dose, is there any, um, any guidance, uh, you know, you would have on that about those kind of minor reactions but definitely still significant enough well i'm not clinical so i'll let the clinical go <laughs> after i tell you my personal experience i had that um <laughs> i have completed my series so i am um, so excited to be well on my way of 94 percent effective um with my efficacy rate but i had those same symptoms with mm -hmm. my first dose and you know it was basically 
probably 48 hours, and I took Tylenol, and, I mean, it was just like as fast as it come on, it cut off just that fast. Mm-hmm. So um, within 48 hours, I was good to go again. Um, you know, I think that those are to be expected. Um, we're all different. Um, my colleagues around me had no issues. Um, got the same shot, you know, around the same age group, genders were different, same as me, some different. They mm-hmm. they had no reaction. And so I think it's just a matter of explaining how we're all made up different mm-hmm. <laughs> and that um, it's going to affect us all in, in, in different ways. But I'll let Rhonda explain from the clinical. Yeah, so out of the 3,000 vaccines that we've administered, I've only witnessed one um, reaction, and it was not anaphylactic. Um, he actually just, Tommy got the vaccine, he just turned white, like paper white, um, his arms turned red, not at the injection site, but um, the lower part of his arm, never seen that happen. Um, we just monitored him. It was nothing that required any um, treatment. We did monitor his blood pressure, and it took about 15 minutes, and he was, he was fine. Um, I followed up with him the next day. He was doing fine. He was actually very young. He was probably 30, 31. Um, Other than that, I mean, I've had some patients that had the the expected symptoms, you know, like what Shelly was talking about. But we've not had any anaphylactic reactions. Um, But from a uh, clinical standpoint, one thing that I did do is when we were in the clinics administering the vaccine, that was a little bit different. We had a provider there. We have a crash cart. We have protocols in place distribution center that we have now is off-site. So one of the things that I have just been really adamant about is having well-defined policies and procedures for um, how to manage any type of uh, reaction. Um, Luckily, the center that we're at now is connected to an urgent care center. We do have some some backup and some reinforcement, but I think that's the piece that we sometimes miss is how to manage those anaphylactic reactions and make sure that our staff are prepared to deal with those in the event that they happen. And, you know, the more vaccines that you give, you know, your chances of experiencing that are going to be greater. Making sure your staff is prepared, um, I think, is is the only thing you can really do. Great. And actually, one of our uh, – someone came in with a, their own answer about uh, – they, uh, they said, we have second doses Friday. We tried to schedule on a Friday to have the weekend to recover. Um, so that, that may be a, a great best practice, you know, is, is – Stagger, much like, you know, uh, staggering those staff doses is, is staggering those, those second doses, too. Um, great. No, thank you. And thanks for sharing your own experience, uh, Shelley. That's, that's always good to hear. Um, another question is, um, and I'll actually pose this to Carolyn first, um, is that um, uh, vaccinating pregnant patients, um, CDC says one thing and the World Health Organization says another. Um, so a World Health Organization is not recommending it. Um, CDC is recommending it. I know you are uh, not a representative <laughs> of either entity, but any any thoughts on that? Uh, or we can, uh, yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. It definitely uh, can be confusing, and people are getting a lot of different information. But, uh, you know, ACOG also has some very clear statements up on their uh, website as well that you can refer people to as well as, um, CDC information, and as I mentioned, there is more information that's being collected uh, through pregnancy um, 
registries, um, many healthcare personnel chose who are pregnant chose to get vaccinated, mm -hmm. and um, there'll be additional safety data that becomes available. So, yeah, it, Great. It, it's tough when there's competing yeah. competing statements. Yeah, yeah. No, thank thank you for that answer. Um, Another one, uh, switching gears actually over to flu. Um, remember, it's still flu season and uh, we're still pushing flu vaccine. So I, um, I wonder, um, and actually if I can uh, start back with you, Carolyn, um, on this, um, you know, so many resources uh, that your organization gives are, are on flu. Um, what's, what, what do you feel right now is, is kind of the lay of the land with flu? Should we keep promoting it? Uh, is it the forgotten vaccine? Are, or what are some um, best practices to keep, you know, promoting the use of the, the flu vaccine as well? Well, we're, we're just not seeing much influenza. I mean, the surveillance data shows very, very little influenza circulating um, in the U.S. Uh, and given that we need to make sure that people have uh, at least two weeks between any other vaccine mm -hmm. and um, COVID-19 vaccine, um, and and our and our staff, as you've just heard from Albany, they're really busy. This is a this is a all hands on deck effort for COVID nineteen vaccine. Um, that uh, I'm not sure that the priority at, at this point um, is influenza vaccine, but we do need to remember for the fall that there are many parts of the world um, where. You know, they weren't really able to socially distance necessarily where flu viruses are still circulating. And, you know, any of these uh, vaccine preventable diseases are just an airplane right away. So we should still be thinking about what we're going to be doing, you know, getting ready for uh, next fall. Great. Uh, Rhonda or Shelly, um, what's, your, what's your take on uh, flu vaccine right now? Is it still being given at your organization? Are you still focusing some on it? We are. Um, we actually had this discussion. We monitor um, and track our flu vaccines um, monthly at our QI level and continuing to watch and figure out, you know, try to determine why either numbers are down or stagnant, why aren't they going up, so we can determine flu campaigns, um, mass uh, communication so that people still um, know that the, the flu is still exists and we, we still need to combat it as well. But um, Rhonda can, it'll segue into Rhonda, but we were talking about this and it's that 14 days of your last injection for most of our people because they want to go ahead and get the COVID vaccine first. Yep. And so we're seeing a lot of people wanting to wait till after that second dose so it doesn't interfere with them being able to get their vaccine. Rhonda, you have some stuff to add? No, no, that, that's, that's about what we've been doing. We are down quite a bit, um, and and to be honest with you, a lot of effort has been put forward toward the COVID vaccine. Oh, you know, that's all people see now. Um, they see it on TV. I mean, it's everywhere. So that's been the vaccine that people have wanted to get, and we still do encourage our patients on their visits to get their flu vaccine. Great. Great. Um, yeah, as we, uh, we, we focus a lot on flu vaccine before COVID-19. Uh, came out on this webinar, um, and, and uh, just as a uh, other plug, there are um, free flu doses uh, for community health centers um, that, uh, you know, are definitely still available. So I encourage any health center that's uh, listening on this webinar, you know, if you are out of flu vaccine or you're running low on flu vaccine, uh, to contact your local um, 
health departments um, and ask for access to those. Um, the, the CDC had put out 9.3 million uh, free flu doses for all jurisdictions uh, for any uh, healthcare provider. So um, we encourage you to, uh, to, to keep doing that. Um, we are out of time. It's 1230. It always goes so fast. Um, so I want to uh, thank especially our panelists today, uh, Carolyn um, and Shelly and Rhonda. Thank you so much. I wish we had longer and could hear from you uh, longer. Uh, but thank you so much um, for all of the, all the things that you are doing, um, as well as taking the time today for that. Um, we, uh, like I said, we have no more FDA sessions coming up, but we will continue to share resources. Um, we have a newsletter coming out um, that is on our next uh, COVID-19 page. So if you go to nachc.org, uh, we have all all things COVID-19 uh, page with some great information on that. We have a uh, microplanning uh, document uh, that's on there that is uh, proving to be uh, useful to kind of um, summarizes some of the things that we've learned on, on these. Um, and uh, uh, anytime if there's any additional questions or um, any follow-up, um, I can certainly uh, be in contact to triage those. Uh, again, my name is Sarah Price. Uh, you can email us price at NAC and ACHC.org. Uh, thank you again for your time today and uh, thank you to our health centers. Um, um, you all are doing such strong work um, in such difficult times. Uh, so thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody.